It's great to be back in the great state of Minnesota. This is camp number six for me. Uh, previously was, uh, started the camp season off in Missouri, then went to Georgia, and then North Dakota, Alabama, and now in Minnesota. And to get things started tonight, I have to do what I always do. It's the only the way to go. It's the biblical way. And Pastor Mark and Barb Dean. I was uh, in a district youth director's truck last week in Alabama, and he said, Micah, he's been serving for 15 years. He said, Micah, why is Minnesota the way it is? I said, well, what do you mean? Because I get asked that question all the time. I said, what do you mean? He said, why are the churches there so amazing? Why is so many great God things happening in the state? What's going on? And I get to tell leaders across the country that we're blessed with some of the best in Pastor Mark and Barb Dean, who lead our state, who lead Minnesota as our district superintendent. So I want to say thank you so much for your leadership and uh, your vision for this place and across the nation. Pastor Mark, you taught me to dream God-sized dreams. We'll talk more about that later this week, but thank you so much. Uh, it's so good to be here in Minnesota, uh, born and raised right here in the state of Minnesota. And so it's fun to be back. Uh, here's what I need you to do. Uh, don't punch your neighbor in the face. Okay, don't hit them. All right, but I need you to put both hands out to your side like this. Everyone in the camp, on the count of three, clap above your head. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. All right, good. You're still Minnesota Vikings fans. Good. You're still Vikings fans. That's what I'm talking about. That is what I'm talking about. And if I just got a Packer fan to do that, good. Good. If I just got a Packer fan to do that, man, I can go home feeling good about myself. True story, a pastor in Green Bay, Wisconsin said, would you come speak at my church? I said, well, I've never spoken in Green Bay before. This would be amazing. No problem, pastor. And I go to his church and uh, I do that. And they're right outside the Lambeau Field. It's full of cheeseheads. I do that to them, okay? I've never seen so many grown men with flannel shirts and beards leave the service to go grab shotguns and kill the speaker. I have never been invited back to that church ever again. I was speaking outside of Chicago. I did that to all the Bears fan. And I had a 70-year-old lady walk up to me. Like, just like, like she wanted to kill me. And she just grabbed me and she pinched me as hard as she could. She goes, don't you ever do that again to me. I'm a Bears fan. If you're a Packer fan, can I see your hand in the place? Let's go. They're everywhere. You can't get rid of them. They're everywhere. You just can't. The whole reason why, is that Barb Dean in the back sitting back there? Good to see you, Barb. Let's give it up for Barb Dean. She's right there. I love you, Barb. The first lady right there. I love you. You want to know why it's so fun to be back in Minnesota? It's because whenever I travel across the nation, I get made fun of. They make fun of me. They make fun of me because I'm from Minnesota. True story. Just last week, I was in North Dakota, our neighboring state. I love North Dakota. It's great. I love them. But I was uh, on the phone with my wife saying how I really wanted to buy a cow. And I was at a lunch table with a bunch of North Dakota folk. And as I'm sitting there, I'm saying, honey, I think we're going to buy a cow. It's an H4 cow. And right when I say H4, the whole North Dakota people start dying laughing at me because it's 4-H cow, not an H4 cow. <laughs> I'm not a cattle rancher. I didn't grow up on the farm like some of you. They're making fun of me, making fun of a Minnesota boy. 
talking about I'm going to get an H4 cow and provide meat for my family. All the ranchers looking at me, pointing, laughing at me. And then I go to Georgia. I go to Georgia. I say, hey, I'm from Minnesota. What do I need to get in Georgia? And this girl looks at me and she goes, sir, you need to get some bold peanuts. I said, excuse me, ma'am. She goes, yes, sir, you need to get some bold peanuts. I said, ma'am, I love peanuts. I, I, I go to Twins games. I sit down with a package of peanuts, hard shell. I crack them open. They're amazing. But I said, ma'am, I don't understand you. What you want me to do is put peanuts and put them in a bowl. She goes, no, sir, you need to try a bold peanuts. I said, ma'am, that sounds I, super weird. Why would I put my peanuts in a bowl and eat them? She goes, no, sir, you're not hearing me right. It's called bold peanuts. I said, ma'am, you're making no sense. And then it hit me. She was saying boiled peanuts. <laughs> boiled. That I needed to try boiled peanuts. That I need to get my oil change, bold peanuts. I'm like, it sounds like you're saying owl. I don't know what you're saying. So it's good, to be, it's good to be in Minnesota. And I was thinking about it. And I made this for fun, okay? Because here's the deal. I travel across the United States. This last year, I preached in over 30 different states. East Coast, West Coast, Jersey, California, you name it. I've been there. And here's the deal. I am a proud Minnesota boy, y'all proud. And yeah, yeah. And I tell people Minnesota is the best state to live. And they look at me thinking I'm weird and strange. And so I made a top 10 list of why I think Minnesota is the best. Okay. Number 10, we love the cold. We love it. We love it. Because if we didn't, we wouldn't live here. One of my favorite things is when it's sub-zero, I go outside with some basketball shorts on. That's it. Taking a deep, fresh breath of fresh, cold air, fill my lungs. I shut the door, walk back in, and I feel much more of a man after doing that. I love the cold. I grew up on the skating rinks, the ice rinks at the bar. I grew up sledding. I love the cold. In Minnesota, we love the cold. Number nine, we are Minnesota nice. We're Minnesota nice. Did you know that? We are. We are Minnesota nice. So much so that I didn't realize the rest of the U.S., they're not all as nice as us. I almost died in Philadelphia just being nice to someone. I realized when you're on the East Coast, you don't talk to everybody. You don't say hi to everyone. I almost died by a motorcycle gang member. Number eight, number eight we have the coolest accent. Oh, don't you know? You betcha. Oh, yeah. Don't you know? Guys, we have the coolest asking. Next, and number seven, come on, I need a big cheer for this one. We have the best sweet corn in the United States of America, y'all. The best corn on the cob. Dip that thing in butter, put a little salt and pepper on it, put a steak down, you're set. Number six, we have the Twin Cities, everybody. Minneapolis, St. Paul. Here's what I love about that. You don't have the craziness of New York. It's not too small like Oklahoma City. You have the vibe of Minneapolis with the downtown lakes to take a stroll, eat some light ice cream, eat at the tin fish stand there. You have it all set up. And then you go to St. Paul for the romantic side, a little more historic, a little more prestigious buildings. Y'all, we have two different vibes in two different cities. You don't got that anywhere else. Minnesota's the best, y'all. Number five. We have the best lake life around. Can I get an amen? Come on. I mean, come on. We have the best lakes. Number four, 
No one knows what this means when I travel. Number four, we have the Juicy Lucy Burger. Let's go, let's go. We got the Juicy Lucy. And by the way, the best Juicy Lucy, Matt's Bar. Don't at me, don't come at me. Okay, Matt's Bar, the small little grill, really good. Number, number three, we have all four major sports teams. We got the Twins, we got the, we got the Timberwolves, the Vikings, we got the Minnesota Wild. North Dakota can't say that, South Dakota can't say that, Iowa can't say that. There's a lot of states that can't say that. And here's the thing about Minnesota sports fans. Every year we think our team's gonna win the championship. <laughs> when it's a new year, we're gonna win it, baby! It's a new year! Kirk Cousins gonna lead us to a Super Bowl! The Twins are gonna win the World Series every year! We believe! Come on, we have the best. We might be the most delusional, but that's okay. <laughs> Number two, this is a random one. We have the best state bird. I'm sorry, but I love the loon. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, I don't know how to do it. I love the loon. It just looks cool, the speckles on it. Ooh, I can't do it, but you know, I wish I could. Number one. This is my favorite one of all time. I do this every single year with my family, every year. Number one, we have the best state fair in the country. The best state fair. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. If there's Texas people in here, I will fight you. Because Texas people think they have the best fair. Oh, we have the biggest fair though. We're number one. No, Minnesota's the best fair. Top 10 things about Minnesota. Can you tell I love being back home? Can you tell? I just love Minnesota. Can we give it up for Minnesota, everybody? This is, a, this is a picture of my wife, Steph. We met at North Central University in downtown Minneapolis. And uh, we reside in Burnsville, Minnesota. I travel full-time as an evangelist. Our home church is Zoe Church in Burnsville area. And this is a picture of my little girl, Everly. She is five. She's going to be six. And she just lost her fifth tooth today, so she's very excited. This is my little boy, Malachi. He's three. And so uh, our whole family is together this week. The last five weeks I've been traveling, I have not been with them. And so it is fun to be back together with them. Also, my in-laws are here, Dave and Lori Stasek and James and Emily Leonard, my family who I love, and a lot of people else that I could give shout-outs that are here as well. And so, so grateful for you guys. The last thing I'll mention before we get into it tonight is uh, when COVID showed up and knocked out six months of our ministry, and that's when I felt like God said, write the book. And so my first ever book that I've written is called Death to Life. I've seen a lot of death. I've seen a lot of crazy things. I watched a parent's marriage end after 17 years of marriage. I've seen divorce, wreck a home. I've seen affairs, wreck a home. I've seen drugs and alcohol, wreck a home. I watched an eight-year-old sister get diagnosed with stage four cancer a year after my dad left. I've seen death in my family. I've seen all of it. But here's the deal. When it comes to Jesus, death is not the final outcome. But he always moves us from death to life. And so I wrote this to encourage you in your faith. And the second part of this book is very practical to help you stay free in Christ. They're in the back. If you'd like one, love to meet you regardless. If you're ready for God's word tonight, say, let's go. If you could stand with me tonight for the reading of God's word. We're going to open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has a lot to say. It's power-packed. There's a lot of truth. There's a lot of things here in this text. 
And believe me, I did not want to preach this sermon tonight. My flesh was like, this is a horrible opener sermon. This is not a good one. But I could not shake it. I need to be obedient. I feel like this is the one we got to bring tonight. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus says this. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, this is pretty harsh, you will be judged. If you want to judge someone, you're going to be held to that same standard. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time, I think that's interesting, when all the time, not some days, not just once a week, but literally all the time, there's a straight up giant plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. That is some strong language, Jesus. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus, would you deal with the hypocrite in me so I can be who you want me to be? In Jesus' name, I'll pray. Amen. Give it up for God's word. You can have a seat. The title of my message tonight is titled, You hypocrite. Man, what a great sermon title. <laughs> Husband's whispering to his wife right now, I'm so glad I came to this one. <laughs> Honey, we should have stayed home. We're going to have fireworks soon. Why don't we have this one? You hypocrite. Has anybody here ever judged somebody? You've judged someone? Just raise your hand so I can see it nice and tall. You have judged somebody in your life before. You've, you've done it. We all have right? We all have. I think of a specific time. I was watching the Vikings game with my little girl, one of my favorite things to do. My wife, she's from Wisconsin. She's a Packer fan. Please. My son is in the car all the time saying, go Pack, go, go Pack, go. I'm like, son, shut it. Son, stop it in the name of Jesus. My daughter, giant Vikings fan. No, Malachi, no. Stop it. That's the wrong thing. There's a war going on in my home. I sit my daughter on the couch. You sit here. We're watching this together. We're watching the Vikings game. We're downstairs. My wife's doing laundry downstairs in the other room. And my wife, she goes to the bathroom and she turns on the faucet. And I hear the water running. Not a big deal. You know, you wash your hands when you're done. Everybody does that. Well, this is weird because it's going on for 30 seconds. Like, that's a long time to wash your hands. And the water goes on a little longer. I still hear the water on. It's about 60 seconds the water's running. I just give a nice, gentle, hey, hey, Steph, shut off the water. And the water continues to run. Hey, honey, what's taking so long? Hey, Steph, shut off the water. <laughs> Two minutes go by. The water is still running. And I'm thinking to myself, who pays the water bill around here? <laughs> trying, to, trying to water a forest or something? Hey, Steph, yell a third time, shut the water off. 
Shut it down! And I'm getting angry because the Vikings are losing and the water's running at the same time. <laughs> my daughter's watching me yell at my wife. A fourth time, three minutes have gone by. Hey, Steph, shut the water off! Shut it down! And finally, I just get so fed up. I get up, I, I turn the corner, I run to the bathroom. Shut the... And then I realized something. Take a look at this video. In our bathroom, and I come in and turn around the corner, and my son's in the sink, overflowing the water. It's my boy! It's a flood everywhere! Water all over the ground! Look at him! We gotta get him out. Look at that kid! I turn the corner, hey, stop! Malachi, what are you doing? You have the same thought as me. How in the world does he climb up there like that? He's so young. I don't know. He's got his dad's genetics. I think that's it. You're sitting there thinking the same thing as me. You hypocrite. Your wife's doing the laundry. You're sitting your butt on the couch. You're yelling at your wife, shut the water off. How about you be a good husband? Get your butt up off the couch. Go check it. You hypocrite. We've all made assumptions about other people without even realizing we're making assumptions that are so far from the truth of what's going on. We've all done this. In fact, it reminds me of a story of a dad who had three daughters who was trying to get Christmas gifts for his girls. You know what they wanted for Christmas? Lululemon pants. <laughs> Any ladies here love Lulu? Some, okay. These girls are excited. Oh, I can't wait. I asked for Lulu. I'm going to get it. This dad gets an Amazon package in the mail, gets the package. He goes, all right, daughters. By the way, if you don't know what Lulu is, it's just a really fancy legging brand, workout, athletic brand. Everybody loves it and their moms, some of them. And so the dad has the box. He goes, all right, girls, sit down. It's time to get your presents. Daddy got them. Sit on down. The girls are all excited because dad comes through every year for Christmas. He gets the best gifts. Dad's sure to deliver. I'm getting my Lululemon pants. They may be $130, but my dad got them for me. I love my dad. They're all excited. Dad says, all right, sit down, girls. I got an Amazon package, and let's see what we got for you. And he opens up the gift. The girls are all excited. He said, all right, first girl, number one, I got this for you. And the girls look at the dad saying, Dad, are you kidding me? It's a lump of coal. Dad, are you trying to say something to me? I'm not a little kid, Dad. You don't need to make fun of me. And they go, hey, daughter number two, I got this for you. Dad, are you kidding me? Why do you have to be such a prankster? Do you have an iPhone somewhere recording us trying to make this go viral on TikTok, Dad, about how upset we are? And then the third daughter, he goes, hey, I got this for my third daughter. And all the girls are ticked off. They're all upset. They storm out of the room. And just before they leave the room, the dad asks this question. Are you sure you don't want to know what this is? And the girls said, whatever, dad. This is so dumb. We thought we were getting this, just running their mouths. Are you sure you want to walk away from what's in this rock? And the girls go, dad, it's just a dumb rock. He said, okay. You can do what you want to do. But he said, this rock right here has a bunch of silver in it. And this rock right here, it's loaded with gold in it. 
And this rock right here is loaded with diamonds in it. And you were willing to walk away all because of the outward appearance of what you saw. When what's in this rock could buy Lululemon 30 times over. And we do the same exact thing to people. That what we see on the outside of somebody else's life, we immediately come to a conclusion, immediately missing out on the God-divine image made in every single person. We do that to people. We see how someone's dressed, and we immediately come to a conclusion about that person's life. We see somebody's skin color, and we immediately say, oh, got to go this direction. We see somebody in public, and we see him looking like that. Oh, I bet you this person's like that. We constantly make judgments based on the outward appearance that we see. And you want to know what it allows us to never do? To see the God-given gold that's on the inside of every person that he made in his image. And here's what happens. There's a couple things that happen when we choose to judge other people. And Jesus lays this out for us. Number one, when I judge other people, it puts me in the wrong seat. The minute I begin to judge somebody else based on what I see, based on what I see in the church, y'all, social media is horrible for this. Because I go to church with somebody that sits next to me in church, and then I see their political views on Facebook, and now I will never talk to them in church on Sunday mornings because I saw what they posted politically. And then I watch their Insta story or their snap. I watch different things that they post. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, they're for sure like that. Well, because they're like that, our family, no, no, we're done. We're done ever getting to know them. We're done getting to know their story. You want to know what judging others does? It puts you and I in the wrong seat. And the first time we ever see humanity judge one another, the very first instance, it's in the garden. When Adam puts himself in a seat, he was never meant to sit in. Adam climbs this ladder of judgment, and he sits up here and gets a comfortable spot where he can see clearly. And when God comes walking in the garden and finds out he's in trouble, look at what Adam says that comes out of his mouth. Put up Genesis 3, please. Very next verse. It says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck told you that you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, here it is, the woman you put here with me. Right there. Let's stop right there. Hey, God, yeah, the woman you made from me. Hey, did you hear what he said? God, the woman you made. In other words, God, it's your fault. I was just fine. I was doing life, and then you decided to put me to sleep, take out a rib and make woman. Hey, God, the woman you gave me, the woman you made, how accusatory, y'all. You know what judging others does? It puts you in a seat of blame. And judgment never allows you to see any responsibility you have with the situation. Because as long as I sit in this seat, I can blame all day long. Oh, it's my boss's fault. Oh, it's my ex-wife's fault. Oh, it's my daughter's fault. Oh, it's my son's fault. Hey, it's actually the school's fault. The principal, yeah, he's a big loser. Yeah, it's actually the high school football coach who did this. Yeah, it's this. And know what it does? When we judge others, we constantly operate from a position of blame, and it never allows us to take any responsibility. Know where this happens a lot? In marriages. Yeah, if my wife would just stop bad-mouthing me, 
My wife would just stop talking poorly. I mean, my wife would just stop screaming at me. My wife would just stop yelling. Yeah, if my husband would just love me, my husband would just notice me, my husband would just do the things that I've been asking him to do, if my husband would just take attention to my life. We constantly see the other person's wrongdoing because I have chosen to take a seat I was never meant to sit in. And we sit in this seat of blame. I'm gonna give you a free tip that might save a marriage in the room right now. There was a husband who was having really bad marital problems and he sat in this seat all the time. He was comfortable here because it protected himself and allowed to see his wife in an incorrect way. You wanna know what he finally realized? In order for my marriage to work, it has got to be 100% of my effort and it has to be 100% of her effort. But even if my wife gives 20% and I give 100%, I got a chance of this marriage working. You wanna know what this husband did? Every single day, he pulled out a journal and wrote a thank you note, a personal thank you note to his wife for a year straight, every single day. And at the end of this year, he presented the journal with his wife. And you wanna know what this journaling did for his husband, this, this couple's marriage? Is it didn't necessarily change her, it changed him. Because when you approach with thankfulness and gratitude, the way God designed us, and we take a humble approach, now God can begin to change your heart. And with that kind of mentality, we no longer have room to take seats of blame because we get off our high horse and we humble ourselves and start taking 100% responsibility for our marriages, for our relationships, for our friendships. Some of y'all are like, man, I wish I didn't come today. Why did I have to come to the You Hypocrite sermon? Why, honey? You want to know what else it does? It puts you in the wrong seat with a self-righteous attitude and a self-righteous heart if we're not careful. And this, we see all the time. Put up the next verse in Luke chapter 18. To some who are confident of their own righteousness, here we go, don't miss it, and look down on everyone else. Stop right there. I am in a posture where I am literally looking down on all of you. I'm above you. I can see clearly every person's eyes. There's no one that I cannot see from this position. And right away, the text of a story that Jesus says is there were some who were confident of their own righteousness and began to look down on everyone else. Because I'm so good, because I'm so spiritual, I now have a position where I can judge you. I'm better than you. I look at you differently. Look what it goes on to say. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Next verse, please. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. This is crazy. We do the same thing. God, I thank you. I am not like other people. Holy buckets. Robbers evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector right here. This is crazy, y'all. I fast twice a week. Amazing. That's a great thing. I give a tenth of all I get. I tithe everything. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Next verse goes on to say this. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let me put this in a modern-day version for you. Man, I'm really glad I'm not like Joe Biden and those Democrats. 
Oh, I'm going to go there. We're just beginning. Man, I'm really glad I'm not like that, that justice. Man, I'm really glad I'm like, not like that next door neighbor who's getting drunk every night. Man, I'm so glad I'm not like that. Man, I'm really glad I'm not like my best friend who just had an affair on his wife. Man, I'm really glad I'm not like him. Forget that guy. Man, I'm so glad I'm not like the town drunk who stumbles home every night. Man, I'm so glad I'm not like this Native American on the reservation and they're destroying their lives. Man, I'm so glad I'm not like this poor income family and this low income. Man, I'm so glad I'm not like Donald Trump. Man, I'm so glad. Man, we do this all the time. Because somehow, because I go to church every Sunday, because I tithe and I fast twice a week, everyone else is below me. Because I'm better than you. And know what happens is we begin to think that we don't need the gospel by the proof of our own self-righteousness. Because every time we climb the ladder, man, I went to church this Sunday. I'm so glad I did. Man, that was awesome. Man, I'm, my neighbors, they don't go. They just stop coming. I'm so happy I'm not like them. I'm going again. Man, I, I'm, I've been fasting. Man, it's changing my life. It's so good. But man, I can't believe how people aren't fasting. What's going on with them? Oh, man, I just gave a lot of money away. I hope people notice how much money I gave because that was a lot of money. It's impacting people. Oh, when I pray, man, I want everyone to see me. And by the way, I want the best seats in the house because I want everyone to see how good good I am. And we think that climbing the ladder somehow makes us closer to Jesus than the other person. And here's the deal. This right here is called a seat of self-righteousness and a seat of pride. And if you're not careful, you will find yourself humbled very quickly. But we have a choice to get off our high horse, to never take the seat in the first place, to join this sinner Oh, man, I kind of know what it's been like. Say, God, forgive me my self-righteousness. God, forgive me for thinking I'm somehow better than. Because, God, this sinner who I see beating his breast, I need the same grace just how much he needs the same grace too. Judging others will always put you in the wrong seat, and don't miss this. Don't you realize that seat right there was only made for one person? Because every time I choose to take this seat, know what I'm saying? By my actions, hey, God, hey, yeah, I don't need you for this one. I got it. Hey, God, I know you're going to be the final judge. I know you're going to judge people according to their acts. Hey, God, I know that's coming, but don't worry. I got it for you, God. I'm doing a good job of it, aren't I? I really enjoy this spot, God. Man, this is fun. This seat right here only belongs to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because there will be a day of judgment, and that is for God's job, not mine. My job is to stay low, to exalt his name, to lift up the name of Jesus, the one who's seated high and lifted up, who has dedicated angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. My mouth should be filled with praise rather than filled with judgment, y'all. I'm called to have the aroma of Christ, not the stench of Satan. I'm called to lift up his name and give him praise. When we judge others, it puts us in the wrong seat, a seat we were never meant to sit in. And number two, when we judge others, you know what it means? It means I have an eye problem. E-Y-E, an eye problem. Jesus talks about the eye, that when an eye is healthy, the whole body will be healthy. That when the eye is full of light, 
The whole soul will be full of light. When I judge others, it clearly means what I'm seeing. I have a wrong, bad filter on my mind that's clouding my life with darkness. So now everywhere I walk, it doesn't matter where I go, I am constantly judging people. It's like putting on sunglasses and saying, man, everything's dark. Everything's just dark. It was light, but everything's dark. I go here and it's dark. I go here and it's dark. I go here and it's dark. And you're looking at me like, duh, you got sunglasses on. Everything's going to be dark. It's the same way when we carry the lens of judgment over our eyes. We're expecting different outcomes and different results, but the problem is an eye problem because I have the wrong filter on and the wrong lens filtering my life over the people that I see. We all have an eye problem. You want to know what's crazy? Is oftentimes we're the ones who don't even recognize the hypocritical nature in and of ourselves. Because here's what the text says. It says this, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? So in other words, how can you look at the person with the speck and people on the back, you can barely see this. People sitting way up in the balcony, you can barely see this speck. But we do this so often where you want to know what happens is the longer you stare at something and the more you stare at it, do you notice what happens? The bigger it becomes. When in reality, it's just a small speck. You and I both know it. But the reality is, is the longer I keep staring at this single piece of speck, this becomes massive. All of you are blurred out. I can't see you. But sometimes we're notorious for constantly staring at other people's sin that it gets so magnified and so big because what you stare at will get magnified. What you stare at will become bigger. And we were never called to stare at the sins of man. We weren't called to put our eyes on it because now this is who they'll always be. They'll never change. They'll always be this person. This is who they are because we have a really good problem at staring at something so small that it's way bigger than what it actually is. And the illustration Jesus gives is he goes, hold up. You're staring at a speck when you are walking around like this. Hey, did you hear about this pastor who fell immorally? Did you hear about his sins, what he did? No, what happened, man? Yeah, I heard he did this and this and this. And yeah, I can't believe that. He's kind of ironic. And the guy who you're gossiping to right now, he's looking at you like, bro, don't you see the plank coming over your stinking eye? Because this is what we look like sometimes. Oh, man, I'm so glad I'm not like that person. Jeez. Did you hear what they did? Did you hear they, who, they, who they did this with and all this stuff? And we forget we have a massive plank coming out of our own eye. We have an eye problem. We have an eye problem. And the whole point to this whole message, I like to call it my big so what. After we listen to scripture, I like to lead you to a big so what. Here's what it is. Is we all, all have an eye problem. I didn't say I. I said I. We all have an eye problem. And the solution is still the cross. Let me remind you of what the words of Jesus said. Out of the heart comes evil, murder, adultery, 
theft, lying, stealing, out of the heart, evil comes, and from that place, my mouth speaks what's in me. The Apostle Paul said it like this, why do I keep doing the thing I don't want to do? Why do I have this prone to do the very thing that I'm every day trying not to do? Church, I think if we're not careful, we will become forgetful on how much we need the grace of Jesus every single day of our life. And how much we need his power, his Holy Spirit to convict us, to lead us. Don't you notice in the text, both people have a problem? Did you notice that? Jesus isn't saying the guy with the speck that his sins are somehow lesser than the guy with the plank. Do you catch that? This person has a speck, this person has a plank, but it's both sin in the eyes of Jesus. And the solution for the person with the speck and the solution with the person with the plank, both are called to humble themselves repent of their sin, come to the cross. And at the cross, you realize that he dealt with the plank and he dealt with the speck so I could help my brother who's got the speck in their eye. Don't you realize this text is dealing with sin in the church? And he's not saying don't go to someone who's in sin. No, quite the opposite. He's leading us to help people in the way he wanted them to be helped. Deal with this. Get this out of your life. Now when you're free and you ain't clearing a plank no more, now, now, now you can come freely to your brother who's dealing with this in his life. Let me teach you how to do this the biblical way. How to help my friend deal with sin in their life. Number one. Remember the sin God forgave in your life. Know what's really helpful? Is when you remember the giant plank that God just forgave and dealt with in your life. Because now you come from a different perspective. Now you remember how much God has forgiven you. You remember how slow to anger Jesus was with dealing with you. You remember he did not treat you as your sin deserves. But supposedly we love treating people giving them the deserved punishment their sins deserve. And Jesus in Psalm 103, it says right there, he doesn't treat us how our sins deserve. When you remember what you've been forgiven of, man, it frees you up to come in the right posture. Number two, walk side by side instead of standing above them, y'all. You can come to your child, you can come to your friend, your coworker like this which honestly, a lot of people never step foot inside of our churches because they think a bunch of us are like this, waiting to point at them, reject them, rebuke them, tell them how they're not welcome here, tell them they should get themselves out of our church. What are you doing here? And we forget that we've taken this posture instead. It should be a side-by-side -side posture. Number three, come humble and act gentle. Man, there's a difference when you're berating someone or you're coming alongside them saying, hey, I, this is concerning. I wanna see you happy. I wanna see you thrive. 
I want to see you live how God's called you to live. You got this. Number four, watch out for temptation in your own life. Y'all, I've seen so many people enter the same exact sin that they just got done judging someone else for for their sin. Because the judgment I held towards them, now I'm being measured it by it my own self. Which means this, I have got to guard myself from the very same sin. Watch out for it. What does Galatians say the next verse? It says this, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently, there it is, and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. There it is. Share each other's burdens and in this obey the law of Christ. You guys, this is not, oh, I'm just not gonna talk to anyone about their sin. That's not it. Biblically, there's a response to help people with their sin, but there's a right way of doing it and there's a wrong way of doing it. And when it comes to self-righteous, critical and taking a seat, we were never meant to call to be in. Y'all, we're called to get rid of that kind of junk. We're not meant to be those kind of people. You know what I love about Minnesota? You're like, oh, here he goes again. He has 11 one. He gave me a top 10, but he's got 11. You know what I love? Is when our leadership find out that there's sin going on in another pastor's life, you know what they do? They start crying. Wanna know why they cry? Because man, they love Jesus and man, they love seeing pastors healthy. I've been in so many car rides where I watch it firsthand. That's what the body of Christ looks like. Because when someone else is suffering or hurting, man, that, we feel that suffering too. Man, we wanna see Minnesota healthy. Man, we want families healthy in Christ. Man, we want husbands serving wives, wives loving their husbands. Man, we want North Central, man, we, we, we want health. We want to see us go the long haul to fight the good fight. Man, we want to see faith come alive. But sometimes we can't appropriately minister when we have a filter of judgment or we're dealing with the giant plank in our own eye that allows us to never see the image of God marked in other people. You want to know where this became real? A young man came to my youth group dressed in heels and wearing women clothes. A lot of churches, when he walked in the door, escorted him right out the door immediately without even getting his name, without even talking to him. Grabbed him, hey, um, we don't allow people like you here, so have a great day. And I said, hey, what's your name? He said, my name's Tom. He's wearing heels, lipstick. He's wearing a dress. I said, Tom, so nice to meet you. I used to serve lunch at the local high school, found out this is where Tom went to school. He worked for the newspaper, was editor. He said, hey, could I interview you? Can you come back by this table after lunch? I walked over there. He said, hey, what are your thoughts on homosexuality? What are your thoughts on transgenderism? What are your thoughts on this stuff? I'm writing an article for my school paper. I said, hey, Tom, can we grab coffee sometime? Maybe talk about this different time. Oh, sure, no problem. Invited Tom to youth group. Tom started coming every Wednesday. Was a man, wanted to sit with the women for the girls, small groups. I said, hey, Tom, we're just going to have you sit with the guys. This is just kind of what we ask. Okay, fine, whatever. And then came the middle of a sex series, the middle of a marriage series that I was preaching in youth group. And I preached the Bible and what scripture says about marriage what God instituted, what God made. And guess who's sitting on the front row? Tom is sitting on the front row. 
This is about his sixth, seventh Wednesday there. He comes up to me right after service, beelines it to me. He looks at me, he goes, I just want you to know everything you just preached from this, I completely disagree with everything you said. I just want you to know that, is what he told me. I said, Tom, that's okay, man, I understand. No worries. He said, yeah, I completely disagree. Everything you said, but here's the deal. I have never been to a church before where I have felt so loved in my entire life. Because every church I tried walking into, I got escorted out. I didn't even sit in the service. This is the first church that's ever allowed me to sit in a service to hear what's really going on. Tom ended up giving his life to Jesus, got baptized, broke the pornography addiction off his life, following Christ, living for Christ, y'all. Amazing. Incredible. Can I just say, there is room in God's kingdom. And the reason why he came was to seek and save the lost. But had I held a filter, had our church had a filter of a judgment lens, we never would have seen this guy give his life to Jesus. We never would have seen him become the man God's calling him to become. Jesus is full of grace and he is full of truth. And we as a church are called to deal with the hypocrisy in our own life, to come humbly and gently to help our brothers and sisters be who he's called us to be. Let me remind you of how we can even do this. I meet so many people across America that think they're never good enough. They, they do all this Bible reading. Micah, I just can't seem, I'm praying every day, I'm reading my Bible. You wanna know what this person looks like? Man, I'll just keep climbing the ladder. Man, I'm doing all these spiritual disciplines. I'm just, man, I don't seem to feel God. And know what God's saying to us? Is he's saying this, the righteousness that you try to accomplish in your own strength is like filthy rags to me. Your best morally pure day to me is like filthy rags. So let me remind every 80, 90 year old, every teenager in the room, for God so loved the world that he did not call his children to climb a ladder to get higher to him. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son down into the world that whoever might believe in Jesus would have everlasting life. For Jesus did not come into the world to condemn it. Jesus did not come into the world with planks filled with his eyes. Jesus came seated in a humble position to bring salvation to the whole world. The whole world. That whoever would believe Every gay, every lesbian, every trans, every LGBTQ, anybody, everyone who will believe that they might find salvation not by their works, but they are saved by grace through faith. Anybody thankful for the grace of Jesus? Anybody thankful that he doesn't look at the outward appearance of our lives? but that he comes while I was a sinner, while I was an enemy of Christ, Christ came. And he saved a broken, hurting boy.